On today's episode of Rice, we'll be debating the history of sex work and sex trafficking in Asia and tackle trending topics including gender reveal, wildfires, and the Mulan boycott. What up, what up, listeners, and welcome to Rice, Asian comedy podcast, where we share the Asian perspective on culture, entertainment, and trending topics. I'm your host, Vong Show, official spokesperson for gay, super cute Asians. And on our panel today, we've got Leonard Chan. Hey, happy to be here. And uh, Veronica Antipolo. I'm equally as happy to be here. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. Let's, um, let's just get right into it and jump into our main topic of the week. And our main topic of the week is uh, sex work and sex trafficking. Um, Sorry, I'm just changing the transition, Um, the overlay. And we have all new overlays this week, so y'all will get the the, uh, first-class treatment. Those on the podcast who get annoyed that I always mention overlays, I do apologize, but... You know, you could listen to the podcast and then go watch the video live stream later if you want, I guess, which is kind of in reverse order. Okay, anyway, um, we've got the uh, we've got the correct overlay on right now. Um, so what we wanted to talk about was sex work and sex trafficking and prostitution um, in in Asian culture historically. Um, specifically around how women are treated, but also, you know, obviously I'm the official spokesperson for gay super cute agents. So we will talk about um, sort of the, the gay side of that as well. Before we jump into it, I do want to clarify the terms. So um, sex trafficking, sex work, and prostitution are sometimes conflated. Um, so I just wanted to define those. So um, while both sex work and sex trafficking involve prostitution by definition, sex work entails a willing engagement in commercial sex, while sex trafficking involves force, coercion, or deceit. Some enter the industry willingly as sex workers, but may eventually become victims of sex trafficking. So just as we get that out of the way, we will talk both about the history of um, both sex work and sex trafficking. Um, let's, uh, Let's head on over first to Leonard on his take on the role of uh, sex work and sex trafficking in Asian culture. Um, okay, so just to be clear, I am pro-sex work. I am anti-sex trafficking. <laughs> just uh, just though nobody's confused, and then I end up getting canceled or something later. Um, but yeah, like in Asia, the, there's like a stereotype, right? Like people, they do like all sorts of sex tourism uh, in Asian countries like Thailand and... Mm-hmm. And there are other Asian countries, I'm sure. I'm very tired. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Leonard, but, uh, Leonard has about 20 projects on the go. And uh, we're very fortunate that he is still committed to this podcast. So uh, me and Veronica do want to thank you, um, Leonard. But uh, keep keep going. <laughs> Um, yeah, so there's like this, there's a stigma like about sex work in Asia, right? That it's... Um, well, first of all, it's mostly illegal in like all these countries. <laughs> like in Th- like in most countries, Asian countries, it's illegal. In Thailand, it's like 
technically illegal, but kind of like, yeah, we're, it's whatever. You know, it's like illegal in the way that like marijuana is illegal in certain states, right? Where it's like, fine, like just don't do it in front of the cops, right? Unless it is a cop who's asking for it, then you pretty much have to do it. But um, yeah, the problem is like in Asian countries, because, uh, you know, there's more poverty in Asian countries, like it's basically anywhere where there's more poverty, there's going to be more prostitution because people are going to want to they need to make money man they need and then it's like well what can we sell right and uh and so the the downside obviously is when the people who are making the money are not the people who have the bodies right uh unless they're providing like administration or whatever but that's typically not the case or that's where all the sex trafficking comes in right and that's not great so um so, like, I mean, ultimately, I think, like, sex work is a perfectly fine profession if it's something you choose to do, right? Uh, and that's why, like, I would, it would be better, like, in these Asian countries if they just legalized it, mm -hmm. right? But I don't see that happening because it's obviously, with the way the cultures are, like, it's not, it's just not going to happen, right? <laughs> it's just, um, but it would be better, you know, because if there's, if it's legal, then there's regulations and there's more protections and... Honestly, like, I want to see capitalism work well. You know, they want to sell some sex, buy some sex. You know, if you have the money and they have, and they're willing to sell it, go for it. But like, yeah, just they need to create better systems, I think. Uh, I have no solutions. <laughs> <laughs> I am very tired. <laughs> okay, let's... Uh... I haven't solved the problem of sex trafficking. I'll get to it. It'll be my next project. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you for that, Leonard. I just want to say hi to uh, Arlene, who is watching us from Facebook. Very, very talented musician. Please look her up, Arlene Pakulan. She is amazing. I've been to several of her concerts. Um, a, a fellow Filipina as one of our um, hosts today, or panelists. Um, let's go to Veronica Antipolo. And what are your views on the history of sex work and sex trafficking within Asian cultures? So I know there's different subsectors across Asia. Um, and there, it's just like, you know, there's a low, there's a mid, there's a high. And at the low end, there's prostitution. And then at the high end, you have things like what they call, I'm going to say this wrong, I apologize in advance, angelicus. Which is compensation dating. So it's like high school girls who are offering sexual services to generous older boyfriends. Mm. <laughs> then, right? like, uh, so it's a uh, sugar. Um, what is that site? Like, sugar, SugarDaddies.com. Are you testing if I know it? Yes, I know. No, 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 no. There's no. like, uh, uh, it's like only, what's your price? Oh, There's like a OnlyFans. What's that? OnlyFans. No, that's a, that's a different thing. But there's like a site that like is specifically seeking arrangement. Seeking yes, arrangement. thank you. Yes. Seeking arrangement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Just like it's it's just like that. So, but yeah. in this case, I mean, it's women. They can be housewives, whatever. But you know, it's high school girls. They have these older men who provide them compensation, whether it's gifts or money, and they provide sexual, like you know, hand cash in hand for hand job agreement. Mm. Yeah, if it works for them, whatever. But the thing is, so the only thing with, with sex work in Asia across all of that is that obviously there's a huge demand for it. It's lucrative, right? So 
they have these commodities in Asia that they produce, like milk and rice. And sex is one of these commodities. But the problem is, by economic definition, sex is intangible. It's a service. The actual commodity providing that service are humans, are, are women, girls, boys, children. And I don't know. I kind of have a problem with that because then basically it enforces this idea that especially I have a young daughter and I'm a woman over 40 that we're objects, we're commodities, we expire, you use us, we're done like a tissue. So I don't know. I, for me, I support sex workers because you have to do what you have to do. Julia Roberts said to Richard, you're a pretty woman. I say, who? I say, when? I say, how much? She still got in his car and drove away. Yeah. Even though he climbed up that ladder. Yeah. So, I don't know. I feel like you can go to a menu, you get rice or milk there. But the thing is, I don't want someone eating me or expiring me. <laughs> well, and I, I, that's when I'm done. Yeah. But as a pro, if you were a prostitute, I don't think anybody would be eating you. <laughs> that's a thing that they're going to do. That'd be like renting a car and washing it. Like, why? Why would you? but it's still I'm like it's not to say that because people like to say it's a commodity there's a demand for it yes there is but there are actual people who are providing that service and without those people so I say you know protect them Um, humanize them like what we just watched the apology humanize them by providing them compensation making sure it's consensual and the last thing is Regulation. There needs to be regulation, something protecting them, laws, bylaws, whatever. Yeah, I, I'm just thinking of this now, but I think it'd be really good if if people like reframed the way they looked at sex work, like the way they look at now as commodities, as you said. But like, what if we looked at them as professional athletes? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Like, you know, they're keeping in shape. Like they're selling their bodies, but they're doing it. You know, like they're they're. It's it's for they're selling their bodies for entertainment. Yes, right. Yes, but at least they know that going in, and they know that going in exactly. Yeah, nobody's in the NBA by accident. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nobody was forced to be in the NBA, so they should, you know. And then and then like the better you are at like, you know, putting the ball in the rim, (laughs) the more you should get paid, right? Like this, there's the skills. These are skill sets that you develop. This is not like. And I feel that should be compensated. Yeah, <laughs> just sports. Fairly thought of as a sport. There you yeah, go. yeah. Space I solved their money. I didn't solve anything. I solved nothing. Yeah, just like, I solved. Nothing. <laughs> you know, so I'm. You know, I'm. I am in favor of legalizing sex work as a profession because you know, just sort of we're talking about sex work versus sex trafficking. I think like sex trafficking happens when sex work has to go underground. Um, and it's not legitimized as a profession. So they have to seek other ways. And then that's where you get like shady people like pimps and all this, you know, all this, all this craziness going on. And then the president of the United States, you know, Mm, (laughs) yeah. And so it's just, I don't know, like, I, I, I kind of get it. Like, like people don't want to like recognize sex work because they think it's like a slippery slope or whatever, but it's like, we know it's happening and I feel like it's better to protect sex workers and legitimize um, their profession than to, yeah, to have this whole network of 
pimps and Jeffrey Epstein's and all of this, <laughs> all of this craziness going on. Um, I, I, you know, I will say though too, like with the current system, you know, and both Leonard and Veronica mentioned it because of the current system, like the people who are who are selling their services as sex workers often are making very little. Um, of that money, you know, it all goes to their pimp or to, you know, um, whatever madam that, that they have to deal with. And the repercussions are crazy. Like they, they can't leave that. They can't leave that. I'll call it their employer because it's like at risk of death if you want to leave your, your pimp and all this shit. So it's just, it's, you know, so I, I feel like so I, I feel like we're all in agreement on on the on the sex work part and legalizing it. It's I I, I do feel like there's another side of it that that people um, have an opinion. Um, you know, obviously we're sort of on the same side, but sort of bringing it um, away from the sex work profession and just more about the role of women and sex and 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 the power structure with men historically in asian culture um you know whether you want to call them like um you know practically like practically um sex slaves like i think in different asian cultures it's kind of ingrained that there are women who exist only for sex like you've got everything from third wives to comfort women to concubines to geisha to ladyboys to like it just it just seems like really accepted in culture um and it's 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 really it's just really sad that women have been you know just denigrated to this role of or or certain women are being denigrated into this role and a lot of times you know like 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 we said it's not even a profession like being a third wife isn't a profession you're just sort of that guy sex slave um Mm -hmm. and you know a lot of people aren't choosing and i I think it is this thing that people need to talk about um and then the the um so then i'll just throw it back out to either um um leonard or veronica if he if either of you want to jump in talking more like the asian perspective on it like less the profession and more like the history of um of objectifying women as sex objects and only sex objects in Asian culture. Well, you had just mentioned it. So, uh, you know, typically in Asian culture, the men are, are more dominant uh, than the women. So it's like Madonna horse syndrome. You're either the wife and, you know, you're pure. So, and then there's, you know, prostitutes, geishas, sex workers, whatever. And they are the dirty women. There's no in between. And again, it always comes back to me for women in Asian culture specifically is that you have to compartmentalize yourself into one of those. There's like no room for you to be a person. It's like either way, you're just this peg yeah. And so men always will maintain that power if you're nobody. Yeah, absolutely. Any any final thoughts there, Leonard, before we uh, move on to our trending topics? I mean, like, like I grew up in North America, right? So like I was like and, and in my uh, household, like my my mom and my dad were very equal. 
in my mind, they've never had sex. So uh, <laughs> I don't even think about how my mom is treated as a sex object because what the fuck? I would, why would I do that? So, uh, so I never really, you know, like I know that my grandfather had multiple wives and I know that he didn't, according to my mom, he didn't really treat like her, his, her mom, like, right. I think she was third wife. Right. So she was in that, you know, whatever. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't know how that's going to change. Um, other than, you know, like how did it change in America? Right. Like, because it was kind of like that in America too <laughs> for, I mean, it still kind of is, but like there is definitely, you know, with, uh, feminism, me too, all that stuff, like it's changing for the better. Um, but yeah, man, uh, it would be nice if it changed, but like, this is thousands of years of culture of, of history and tradition and, you know, and I think part of it is also like the women, some, the women, some of them buy into it. Like there's, you know, I, I, I don't know. It's a lot. I don't want to speak too much because I'm not that educated. And I, that's the key is that I'm not very educated on this and uh, yeah. everybody should be more educated. Yeah. Like I'm not sure how close any Asian countries are to legalizing sex work. I think it's still sort of, um, in the underground, it just really is ingrained in the culture and generally accepted. I will, um, I will give a bit of the gay perspective with, you know, um, like specifically with, um, with the sex tourism in Thailand, a lot of it is centered around uh, quote unquote lady boys. Um, and you know, a lot of lady boys get into, you know, into sex work because they're not totally accepted in society. Now, the funny thing is they're probably more accepted in Thailand than anywhere else, I guess, because people know there's this whole sex tourism um, thing and it's good for the economy, but they're not accepted enough to like hold positions of power. So it's like, we'll let you exist because you bring in tourists, but this is really the only job you can do because we're not going to give you like, you know, CEO positions or none of that kind of stuff, or even management positions. So I don't, I don't know how I feel about it. Like, because, you know, like I said, I want to be supportive of sex workers, especially if that's what they choose to do. But if they're becoming sex workers because society has rejected them and won't give them any other work, you know, that's a whole other issue. Now, you know, I this is where I might get canceled. But like as a consumer, you know, like, you know, obviously, I'm a gay man. Like, if it was legal, I probably would be one of those Johns that gets caught on the corner or whatever because if it's consensual. But I don't know about the morality of that. Because I'm thinking just from my own side of it. Like, let's be real. I know nobody wants to talk about if they would, like, you know, um, 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 solicit a sex worker. But, like, obviously, there's people out there. So I would say, like, like I would be stopped because I'm. I'd look at the morality of it. Um, from the other side of what societal pressures are leading them to have to do this type of work, like specifically in Thailand and the lady boys. But if I take away that morality and it's just the morality of me exchanging money to me, I do look at it as kind of capitalism. As long as my money is going to um, the person providing the service and not some random pimp somewhere. So yeah, I don't know. Maybe that's going to get me canceled by saying like, I'm not against doing it. Um, or paying somebody, but I'd have to get over 
this idea of, you know, who's the money going to and um, is it legal in that country and, you know, what societal pressures have forced them into this line of work. But if it feels consensual, I don't know. There, there's a lot there. There's a lot there. Look, I mean, yeah, I mean, the thing is this, like any almost anything you buy. Like if you just go if you just go into the history of the thing that you've bought somewhere along the way, there's probably abuse. Like you buy chocolate and you're supporting child labor. Right. So like 98 percent of all chocolate is the result of child labor, you know. And the sad thing is like it's completely it's not you know, you don't need chocolate. All right. <laughs> it's like, well, so you, OK, well. I mean, it's, but better than sex, right? about, better than sex. Yeah. It's just the thing about sex work is like when you make that purchase, like the abuse is that much closer to the, the front of the store. You know yes. what I mean? Like it's the mannequin. What are you talking about? Right. So I think if you like, I mean, and yeah, I think like, so Vong, to your point, like if you're going to engage in that behavior and I have no problem with it, if you want to go see a call girl, if you want to hire an escort, go for it. Like, I read this article a while ago about like this dude who's very, very rich and he's just like, I don't have time to cultivate a relationship and because like, you know, like there's something you want companionship, you want sex, but then great. And if you can afford it, then you don't have to put up with all the other stuff that comes with that, you know? So, um, not that it's bad. I love my wife. Everything's great, but you know, I mean, it's work. It is. I mean, it is work. I mean, like, you know, and some for some people, it's not work they want to do. So they're willing to pay to not have to do that work. But as, no. so I think as long as you're pay, as you you have an understanding of who's in charge when you're buying the sex. So like, and, and you know, um, and in these cases, these are very like high price call girls. So like and and they're very much they're like courtesans more than anything. Like they, yeah. you know, they work on their body. They like study. They like they're educated. They're very good conversationalists. Like this is an art to them. <laughs> Right. And then they develop relationships and like some of them even fall in love with each other, but they don't commit. Right. And I was like, and then you can have like two or three of these types of relationships. And I was like, that, I mean, if I had a lot of money, and that doesn't sound so bad. Right. But, yeah. you know, at the end of the day, it's like, yeah, you, you got to understand where your money's going. And I think personally, like if I was paying for something like that, like I'm not going to like look for discounts. You know what I mean? I'm not going to haggle. <laughs> which is such an interesting thing to do. It's yeah. like, I don't want to pay them a living wage. You pay them what they say they're, and, you know, they they tell you what they're worth because that's the whole point of it, right? It's about the worth of who they are. And I think when it's, when it's sex trafficking, now somebody else is determining the worth and that's fucked up. It's like, they have to be able to determine their own worth. And then you, if you, you either pay it or you don't, right? Yeah. And tip well. <laughs> it's like, tip well. Yeah. You know, it's not like, you know, and they shouldn't be surviving just on tips, right? No. <laughs> oh, I think tipping should be abolished. We went into that in another episode, so I won't get into it about the history of tipping, um, tipping. originating. Well, from, you shouldn't from give slavery, them just but... the tip. <laughs> but you know, I, I will just finish with um, with uh, so similar to what Leonard's saying. There is this sort of um, this sort of this sort of system in in, in gay culture um, and. The, the sex workers are called um, are called um, hustlers, and it's, it's an interesting dichotomy because they are usually, you know, I, I don't want to like do like a like, like a stereotype, but a lot of them, you know, like Leonard's saying, vary in shape, um, and it's it's a little bit different because like the physicality usually they're quite large and muscular, so like 
more so than their clients. So like mm-hmm. that danger element is taken a little bit out of it. And I do think like there is an acceptance um, and, and a freedom of sexual expression within the gay community. It, it's honestly sex work in the gay community is just really very different um, just because of the power dynamics. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not to say that there aren't, you know, like, like young thin twinks that get like exploited in sex traffic. But I do know like there is this other side of it of like, you know, larger muscular men who really do control um their their fate and don't need a pimp and you know have clientele and everybody's satisfied and it's capitalism and i'm totally cool with that um yeah if you can be your own bodyguard that's great yeah Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. um okay great let's uh transition i'll try my best to transition to our uh first trending topic um so so far we've been talking about objectification of women and sex work and all this kind of stuff so i wanted to start out with this crazy chris evans captain america leaked nude photo thing on instagram if you didn't see the story over the weekend um chris Uh evans he he (laughs) brought it straight (laughs) (laughs) she's like what so he searched (laughs) so what happened was he posted a video and at the end of the video which showed his camera roll and his camera roll had a photo of an erect penis most people are assuming it's his erect penis if it's not his then there's even more questions but we're assuming it it's his erect penis um and (laughs) and also there was a um he had saved a meme of his face and the words guard that pussy so <laughs> there's there's just a whole lot of shit going on. But the part of it I want to talk about is there was this huge backlash for anybody who was looking up the photo or sharing it because everybody started talking about, oh, we need to protect Chris Evans. You know, there's his privacy. He's well known to be like an introvert. This could be bad for his mental health. And you know what? I'm not saying that any of those things are wrong. Yes, there should be privacy for people. But talking about the different treatment of men and women, like, are you effing kidding me? When women's pictures are leaked and not even by them. So first of all, he leaked it himself, number one, and people are trying to protect him. Second of all, most women, their photos are leaked for them or their sex tapes are leaked for them. And nobody's going out being like, we must protect their privacy. We must protect their mental health. Like, like, People were, like, shaming people who were, like, going after, like, looking at these photos. I'm sorry, like, listen, I do feel bad for Chris Evans, but where was the same energy for, like, Jennifer Lawrence and other people who had their photos leaked through, like, a data mine? Like, she didn't just accidentally post this shit. I just think Mm -hmm. it's, like, it's just ridiculous that we're trying to protect this one person and, like... You know, like I said, I'm sure he's a nice person, but all people are talking about is how nice he is. When these things leak of women, it's usually, oh, oh, Vanessa Hudgens, why did why did you take the photo in the first place? Maybe then it wouldn't be leaked. Like, they get slut-shamed, and you know what? Chris Evans is not getting slut-shamed, at least from what I'm seeing. It's like, oh, he's such a good guy. We need to protect his mental health. Like, come on, <laughs> bitches. Like, no, no, no. Like, I'm sorry, people. Yeah, but I'm for sure sorry. they're looking at it first. I'm like, we got to protect his mental health. Oh, <laughs> oh, for I'm sure. Not. 
For sure. Every like, little... Oh, look, he, he can carry Thor's hammer. <laughs> yeah. I Four words I have for this. Pass it to me. <laughs> oh, I'll, to I'll, me. I'll be real. If anybody you... wants to like shame me for looking it up and think I'm a bad person, I did look it up. I downloaded okay. it. So y'all can be hating on me. I don't give so a hold shit. Up. What? Are, are people... Let me ask you this, Vong. Because like, yes. I haven't seen it. I don't know. I don't know what it looks like. So are people <laughs> like, oh, we got to protect this poor man. Like, what does it look like that people are like, we must protect this poor man? Like, that's... that's you know what? It's blurry. It's blurry. It looks like a million penis. Honestly, gay men, we just get sent pictures of penises all the time. It didn't really... Whatever. Honestly, I was partially downloading it to see what meme that was that said, guard that pussy. But it's like... I'm like, let's agree with Chris Evans and guard pussies and not guard Chris Evans, okay? Let's guard the women who have had this shit leaked on them. And, yeah. you know, and like I said, I'm, I'm sorry that you leaked yourself, but you did it yourself. Exactly. I don't know what to say. You know, let's... Like, I think that's great. I think that's yeah. like Captain America saying guard that pussy. Like, that's really <laughs> what America should be about. Not like grab the pussy. But this is where... This is how we make America great again, is we guard that pussy. <laughs> Just, that's, that's their new slogan. Yeah. Um, Honestly... What- <laughs> One like thing... if, if a can if Biden came out tomorrow and he was just like guard that pussy oh like come on man. One thing I will say, you know, since we're talking about Biden and everything, I will say that Chris Evans has been playing this pretty well. He came out with a tweet, um, I think earlier today that said, "Now that I've got your attention, um, please vote on November 3rd So nice. there you go. That's how you Ever. turn lemons into lemonade. How you turn around around. into a pool. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, so that is the end of my topic. And now let's head on over to. I'm just doing the transition now. Let's head on over to Leonard, who is going to talk about uh, gender reveal parties and wildfires. Yeah, I mean, did you did you guys hear about this? So, like the the, re- the most recent one of the most recent wildfires. There are many, but most of America is on fire right now, like literally and metaphorically. Um, and and by the way, most of that smoke is like coming over to BC. So now Canada's getting like America's secondhand smoke. It's just really ridiculous. Um, but yeah, the wildfire was started by a gender reveal party went wrong. Like so, they just like set off explosives to be like you know like you shoot this thing and it's like if it's pink, it's a girl, and if it's boy then the world goes up in flames oh so so yeah like ten thousand acres right now and counting because of this gender reveal party and this is not the first time this has happened there was another one that happened like in uh in california uh and that was uh another gender reveal party this like off-duty sheriff like fired a, a bullet into like an explosive to reveal again like presumably like the color of uh the color of like this, the, the explosive powder or whatever, oh 47,000 acres, <laughs> like $87 million in damage or something nuts like that. Some, some ridiculous number. And it's like, you know what? Like nobody gives a shit about your kids, man. Stop having kids. <laughs> like, you literally light the goddamn world on fire with your fucking children. All right. Like just oh who gives a shit? This is so stupid. It is so, so, so dumb. Like that. What, what just, and but by the end of it, whatever, like gender's fluid, anyways. Like you have this thing, you just lit this thing on fire, and now this kid comes out. And is like, I'm not even a girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I thought gender reveal parties were like 
out of style. I don't know why they even got in style. Um, I saw an interview with the person credited for doing the first ever gender reveal party, and she said she felt guilty that it's sort of blown up into, well, I guess this time oh. literally blown up into like this whole thing where people are so crazy about it. She's like, yeah, our she reveal should. Yeah, well, for hers, it was just like, I think it was like a cake. And when they opened the cake, it revealed it and she videotaped it, put it on YouTube or some shit. And she's credited as like the first one. But now it's just like Leonard said, nobody cares. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. And do we have to bring a gift again? Like, what is this? (laughs) Stop pushing for gifts. Like, stop. (laughs) Okay, um, thank you, Leonard. Now let's go on to um, Veronica's hot topic, which is on to your... Oh, no! <laughs> Shit. Okay, so the overlay... Um, so I'm supposed to say Ontario Schools Opening, but of all the ones that I misspell, it's right now it says Ontario Schools Reopening. Sorry, educators. That's you need to go back. <laughs> Maybe I need to go back to Ontario School. Um, but now let's uh, let's hear from uh, from Veronica her thoughts on uh, Ontario Schools. Ontario I'm I'm kind of pissed. Like I don't know up so school has started this week and they're staggering them. So my daughter actually doesn't start till Thursday. And it's pissing me off because the closer I get, the more anxious I get. They push out all this information literally like a week, days before our school, not until the day before school started. And it literally looks like that that copy text that people put on their website are still building it looks like Lorem Ipsum so <laughs> information. I'm like, I don't know what to put in her fucking lunch bag, put a baggie in there, put three masks, put like headgear. So I'm going to take her. You have to bring a passport every day. You, what, to get it, like, yes, uh, you sign this passport to say you did this checklist. Oh, not an actual you- passport. Like just like oh. a passport. Yeah. Do you remember we had this thing in Toronto? It was called Caravan. You'd go from pavilion to pavilion. It would be different countries. They gave you a passport, like a mock passport. It's like that. It's a COVID passport. You pass, you move on. You get past the board. It's ridiculous. Like, I literally think I'm going to change her back to online, even though that's been brutal. It's it's a shit show. Second wave coming. Second wave is Second wave coming. Second wave's coming. Kids are like the perfect, what's it called? Of the perfect disease Vectors. vector. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God. I just, I can't even take yeah. this. They're petri like... dishes. They're tiny little petri dishes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even, That's even... why we're doing gender reveal for them. <laughs> yeah. Even at the yeah, best of times. You can reveal if they have COVID or not. Do that. That's fine. Depends <laughs> of the cake. You're like, oh no, nobody eats this cake. <laughs> oh, can you imagine COVID reveal parties? That'd be awesome. That'd be awesome. Although I will say, recently there's been a lot of uh, there's been a lot of uh, racist reveal parties by people uh, posting how stupid they are online. So um, oh. ho- hopefully that continues. I like self identifying racists. It just makes it easier to. Uh, um, hate them in public. Uh, okay. Black forest cake matters. <laughs> okay. Um, so next topic is back to me. Oh my God. So this is a follow up to my last video that was called why you shouldn't boycott Mulan. Oh my God. <laughs> So many haters, so many haters. Okay, so this is going to talk about 
a follow-up on the Mulan boycott, you know, whether I've learned anything from all these hateful comments <laughs> or what's been happening. So, okay, let me break it down. I will say that um, the boycott has been more effective than I thought it would be because um, it, you know, at the very least, whether I agree with it or not, at the very least, I have to admit that it has shone a brighter light um, around the world about the genocide and um, these concentration camps of of the Uyghur Muslim po- population. And we had covered that topic, you know, over a month ago. But I would say in general public, most people didn't know this was going on. So I will say as far as awareness, it has really helped that case. Um, it also, it, it is putting some type of pressure on the Chinese government because the Chinese government didn't like the discussion around Mulan, so they implemented a media blackout in mainland China. So it is having a, it, its effect. So I can admit when I'm wrong, like I, it is more effective than I thought it would be. Now, whether I think there will be actual change or not, I'm not sure, but at least it is bringing visibility in a way that... I didn't think it could sustain. Now, on the other hand, I, I do think that, you know, I, I don't think the Chinese government is really going to change anything. Um, I, I feel like the next opportunity to really push for change with the Uyghur situation will probably be during the the Beijing um, the Winter Olympics in 2022. And I know for people in the middle of a genocide, two years is probably too long, but I feel like that's a real opportunity um, for um, the international community to put pressure and Honestly, maybe even take away the Olympics. Like, how can you give the Olympics to a country that's in the middle of a genocide? Um, I don't know. Although, I guess you could say the U.S. is in the middle of a genocide of black people with their police department. So maybe nobody's going to have the Olympics because all these superpowers are goddamn corrupt. Um, but I will say that, you know, like, is it is good for awareness. I don't personally think the Chinese government is going to change anything. But the awareness itself is a victory. So I will say that. I will say, though, that I am still worried that people are trying to pressure Disney and they think Disney will stop doing business with China. But China is like their second biggest um, their second biggest market. So I do think that they're more likely to just stop producing Asian led movies. So I'm really hoping there's not a boycott on Shang-Chi because if there's a boycott on Mulan and Shang-Chi, but we're not going to boycott like Doctor Strange when Doctor Strange, they uh, recast, you know, a, a Tibetan monk as like a goddamn a Celtic woman to appease mainland China. It's like, why are we only... Like if we're if we're gonna put pressure on Disney, let's let's put pressure on all their movies then. You know, because they market all these movies to China and they are bending to the Chinese government's will on a lot of these characters to be able to be screened in China. So why are we only boycotting the Asian led movies? Um that's all I gotta say. Um and like I said, the it, it, it was it, it was a lot of drama. It was a lot of drama. Usually, I don't respond to like people being negative because I do know social media is for interaction, but I try and interact with like positivity. But I felt like in this case, I did have to like um, to put put a response there, and that's why I wanted to respond with this video saying, you know, yes, I probably was a little bit wrong, and yes, the boycott has achieved something. I do think. 
some of the facts have been distorted a little bit, but that's usually what happens in mainstream when you're trying to get something out. I do think with Disney... Um, oh, and Disney also came out, one of the executives came out that the situation has not been good for them. So it is affecting them. Um, I just don't know how they're going to respond. Um, I don't think they're going to respond by not doing business with China. So the only other way to respond is to um, stop funding Asians, I guess. But um, I, I will say, like, to look deeper, like, First of all, if you're boycotting Mulan, please do your facts. A lot of the people who were like commenting were saying that Mulan was shot um, near uh, near uh, I don't Jing. know, yeah, um, 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 Zhangjing or whatever um, province, but also mostly New Zealand. Just yeah, <laughs> yeah, and that's what I want to say. It was filmed mostly in New Zealand. The only thing that they filmed in mainland China were some background shots of like, you know, desert and mountains and stuff so that it would be historically accurate. Like, let's just calm down. Like, Mulan did not film in mainland China. Um, So if you're going to, like, pressure people, at least pressure them with, like, the facts. Because if not, then you're just being basically like Donald Trump and the right-wingers who just, like, freaking twist shit. Yes, they should not have even filmed those scenes, but... They didn't film the whole movie there. Um, and also, I do want to say, people, just because somebody disagrees with, like, whether people should see a movie or not, or whether a boycott is the best way to pressure, like, Chinese government, does not mean that I'm pro-genocide. Like, just calm the F down, people. <laughs> like, we literally talked about the Uyghur situation a month ago before most of you bitches probably even heard about it. So just calm the F down. Just because <laughs> you didn't watch a movie doesn't mean you saved the fucking planet. Okay, moral high ground bitches. Um, y'all haven't done shit other than not watch a movie. So just calm the F down. If you really want to help Hong Kong and help the Uyghurs, there's a lot of different things you can do. But if you think signing a petition or boycotting an effing movie makes you morally superior to other people, you really need to take a look at your life. Um, and that's the last I'm going to talk about that. Or maybe I'll talk about it more because it is good for hits, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a, an olive branch for Vong. Uh, call the F down. Uh, you bitches don't know... <laughs> <laughs> that was the olive branch, guys. <laughs> <laughs> okay, moving on to our next topic. Um, um, we're going to go back to Leonard. And um, <laughs> Leonard wants to talk about a report from the World Wildlife Foundation Fund. Fund? Fund. World Wildlife Fund. Are the WWF. The- which has been around forever. They has their their panda as like speaking of China. Their panda, the pan, the is the uh, is their symbol, it's their logo. Mm. Um. So yeah, man. Like when okay. So like I've I've always like been into like conservation and the environment and shit like that. Like when I was a kid, I would like raise money to try to save. Like, I raised money for the WWF, um, and not the World uh, Wrestling Federation, which had to change its name to WWE because of the World Wildlife Fund. Mm-hmm. Go pandas. Uh. And I raised money for them because I want to save all these endangered species and uh, all of them are extinct now. So fuck my life. Uh, and it's just getting worse. So there was a recent report from the WWF that said in the last 50 years, over two thirds of all wildlife populations <laughs> just gone. Bye. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and yeah, man, like there's no way to make this funny. It just fucking sucks, you know? Wow. Like like we're just uh and it's you know, it's like all agriculture and it's like deforestation and climate change. It's all like just removing all the habitats for these poor animals who have nowhere to go. And like at this point, like we're gonna be nothing left but cows, pigs, and chickens. Like <laughs> it's real bad. Um so yeah, like like I don't know, man. Uh it's yeah. It's fucking rough. <laughs> yeah. Like, wow. I have no humor for this. Uh, Humans are just... jerks, aren't they? <laughs> this yeah. is really shocking. Like, I just remember a line from The Matrix, and I'm going to butcher it. So I'm just going to paraphrase. But it was Agent Smith saying that, like, humans aren't part of the equilibrium. We're not part of the ecosystem. We go in, we use up all the resources, we kill everything, and then we move on <laughs> to another area. Yeah. And then yeah. he was like, that's not an animal. That's, there's only one other thing that exhibits this behavior, and it's viruses. He called humans yeah. yep. a virus on the planet. And he's not wrong. How can we kill yeah. two-thirds of wildlife? Holy shit. Look, man, it's ridiculous. I'm, I'm rooting for Rona, man. I'm like, yeah, nature, fight back. I can kill all these motherfuckers. Like, and the reason why coronavirus is around is because we keep eating all these wildlife. <laughs> so you know what? Let this keep happening until people learn. I mean, it sucks. Uh, obviously, like, I don't want people to suffer. I don't want people to die. But hey, I don't want the animals to die either. And like, and they didn't. Yeah. Do, they did nothing wrong. All right. Now I got those anti-maskers out there being like, oh, you know, this is my freedoms and shit. I was like, yeah, well, who's speaking for the animals, man? Like, they didn't want to get displaced. This is fucked. Anyways. Uh, yeah. In yeah. 50, Can you imagine in the next 50 years? Like, yeah. nothing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's only going to get worse. Like, I just don't see this getting any better, which is really disheartening. But, you know. But at least we got Zeus. <laughs> well, you know what at least pandas still exist they aren't part of the two-thirds that'd be sad if their logo disappeared so at least we know oh. that they're gonna put pandas above all and pandas are one of my favorite animals so yeah you know like koalas are going extinct and like they so like then you were like i know rona's been a distraction but if you recall australia burnt down at the beginning of this year mm -hmm. and like most of the koala habitat is gone and so, but the stupid thing is, they're still cutting down more of the forest. It's like, did you not fucking learn? Oh my god! And so, goodness. like, they're still deforesting like all this koala habitat. So they're gonna be gone. Like, there's gonna be no more koalas if we don't do something. Oh my it's, god! It's ridiculous, man. Okay. Well, they can learn about them in school or in skull. As I mean, koalas—they're <laughs> like, the dumbest creatures on the planet, but they—they don't deserve to die. <laughs> I know. We're I. You know what? I feel really like. I feel bad now as a human right now. We should. We should all feel bad, but we don't. That's the problem. It's like people are like, oh, like Michael Che had a joke where he was just like, let's be honest. Like if all the gorillas disappeared tomorrow, would anybody, like how long would it be before you knew they were all gone? And that's a good point, right? We just, we don't pay attention to this shit. No. We'd see Chris Evans' dick faster than that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like honest. I was on it. I was we're on it, people. Gorilla, we're looking oh. <laughs> that is so, that's funny. Yeah. <laughs> save forget the pussies yeah. guard, guard that pussy, pussy like guard the literal pussies now like guard the cat yeah. Yeah, the tigers the lions man um, gotcha. new meme somebody well one of our listeners should make it with 
Leonard's face and have it say, guard that wildlife. <laughs> um, okay, thank you. That is the end of our hot topics. And now we are going to end with our Asian movie of the week. Each week we like to spotlight an Asian creator, usually a movie, um, because with rice, we're all about celebrating um, unique voices from underrepresented communities, but basically Asians, because, you know, let's be real. I'm biased. <laughs> um, um, hello, my my first album I'm working on right now is called Yellow Supremacist, so I don't even hide it. Um, so oh, that should be out later this year. But anyway, back to uh, back to our movie of the week. Our movie of the week is The Apology, which is our first documentary that we're covering. It is directed by the amazing Tiffany Shung, who you, you may or may not know is the sister of our original host, Jennifer Shung. I think Jennifer's face is still on the overlay. I haven't had time to change that out yet. But um, the, uh, the Apology is a story that follows the lives of three grandmothers who were former sex slaves for the Japanese Imperial Army during World War II across Asia, also referred to as comfort women. So we like our movie of the week to tie in with our topic of the week, of course, which this week we talked about um, sex workers and sex trafficking. And this really is a is a sad story. It follows three grandmas, Grandma Gil in South Korea, Grandma Adela in the Philippines, and Grandma Chow in China, um, some of whom were taken um, when they were 14 years old to basically be sex slaves for, you know, the Japanese Imperial Army. Like, this is totally, totally, um, totally uh, ridiculous. But let's start with Veronica. Let's first talk about, like, the actual subject matter. Like, how did this make you feel just learning about this? Or had you already known about these comfort women? You know, it's funny. I had heard the word, uh, I had heard the term comfort women actually from my mother. I, I can't even remember when, but she had talked about comfort women as it, uh, she just basically said they were prostitutes. So I had no other context except that they were, they were prostitutes. Um, so when I watched the movie, first of all, I didn't know it was going to be that it was going to be like that within the first minute before they even showed the title. I was already crying. It was like three in the morning. I was like, I can't sleep. I'm going to watch this. It mm. deeply affected me. I have to say, I'm glad I watched it the Sunday morning early that Sunday morning because I had intended to watch it Sunday night because it like the whole day I just had to sort of come down from it. Mm. It was, it was, yeah, it was very impactful, very impactful. Mm. And Leonard, what were your initial thoughts having watched this? And yeah, it's uh, it's very moving. And uh, you know, growing up in a, a Chinese household, uh, I have not heard the most glowing reviews of the Japanese, and this <laughs> did not uh, change that. Because uh, like my parents taught me about this stuff, you know, like from the get go. Like I knew about. Comfort Women. I knew about the rape of Nanking, which of course this also tied in. I knew about um, like some the Japanese did some horrific shit, man. Like there was a thing called um, I want to say Section Seven Thirty One. I think it was like a, a the unit of the Japanese Army mm-hmm. that did like horrific, like gruesome experiments on you know Chinese prisoners of war, 
and uh, and they basically made it into a horror movie in China. And I, I I didn't watch it, but even just looking at like the back the video of the VHS box, I was like, oh, this is nightmare fuel. And so it doesn't surprise me that this happened, and it doesn't surprise me they don't want to apologize, right? And that's like the thing that's because like they they rewrote their textbooks to be like none of that happened, right? And so the very very beginning of the movie, like this is not a spoiler, the very beginning, like these these women are like going through Japan to like talk about their experiences and these Japanese men are like, Oh, homie, you horrors, you liars. Like, fuck you. And it's like, Oh my God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, what thing, do you think they're trying to get out of this? You know, like, come on, man. One thing it really shows is that, you know, I think sometimes people think of visible minorities in, in North America and visible minorities are all like liberal or progressive because we're the minorities here. But in Asia and specifically in Japan, there are right-wing Asians for sure, for sure. And so they're like Trump-style right-wing Asians who are just going after these comfort women who all they want is an apology and, yes, some money as well because they are owed money for what we were talking about before with sex work. Like, who's the money going to? Well, they didn't go to these comfort women and their lives have been destroyed. And I was just so inspired by the fact that, you know, this is all the way from World War II. So I think at the time of the film, I think there were 28 comfort women who were still alive. So they were sort of fighting against time to get um, this apology um, while they were, you know, still here to hear it. And I think now it's down under 20 are still alive. It's down to 18. And in fact, two of the women, um, you know, or from the film, two of the three grandmas are no longer alive, um, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is really sad. The Japanese government, um, I don't know. I don't know. It, it kind of reminds me of like the truth and reconciliation of what's happening in Canada and how like just, you know, insufficient it is here as well. So they don't just want to blame Japan. Like even in a liberal country like Canada, um, we're not doing our best, but in Japan, you know, they they have offered two apologies on this, but both times the apology was followed. It was like carefully worded apologies that were like negotiated um, on like, we'll say this if you take down this statue in front of our embassy. So it wasn't really an apology and none of the apologies ever um, said that the women were coerced. All of them say that they were comfort women um, and that, you know, we apologize for their experiences, but we won't acknowledge that they were kidnapped or were coerced. They are still trying to sell the narrative that these women willfully, like, became sex trafficked at 14 or younger. Like, this is ridiculous. Um, But so, okay, so outside of the subject matter itself... Um, going more on like the art form of the documentary and how it followed these narratives. What did you think of the documentary itself? Um, first, let's go to Veronica. It, well, that, it was such a good documentary. And the reason I say this is because I, I've actually watched a lot of documentaries because I get tired of fictional stuff. But she, Tiffany had such a way of their narratives in first person so that right from the beginning i was hooked i i think i bawled through most of the movie and she there's one scene i remember where 
um, I think it's Grandma Chow, and her daughter is washing her hands for her. And then I, I, I honestly don't remember what came just before that scene or after, but I remember thinking that is just such like an everyday thing. And it really humanized um, Grandma Chow for me. All of them for me were, were humans, but it's just like seeing that in front of you, like an everyday thing that you're washing someone's hands, such with care, with such love. It really... I was bawling. My eyes were swollen the next day. Um, and also, Vong, you mentioned something about they were inspiring. It's funny. I went through a roller coaster of emotions. I was, I felt like I was inspired at first. And then I felt like, you know, these women are badass to be protesting for decades, literally. Yeah. But the thing is, to become badass, you're, you've gone through something horrific. And that's it's the double-edged sword. So, I mean, yes, I find them inspiring. However, it was at the cost of their lives. Yeah. But I loved it. I loved how she. I loved how she documented their story. Yeah, my favorite thing was how she got these women to open up in ways that they wouldn't even tell their own families because they. Mm-hmm felt shame and one great thing if 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 our listeners here are able to to watch the apology um it's on amazon prime video right now um so if you have a prime subscription you can go to amazon prime video and watch it or you could rent it on itunes or purchase it as a dvd um but if you have a chance to watch it, I would also watch um, an interview. So my other podcast is called Gaijin, and I just did a long interview with um, with with um, with the with the director Tiffany Shang, and she really gave even more insight. Like, because one of the questions I asked her was like, "How were you able to get the grandmas to like?" open up to you in a way they wouldn't even open up to their family. And she, she told me this one specific scene um, was that, um, was that they actually waited until the cinematographer was out of the room and they waited until their daughter was out of the room. And then when it was just Tiffany and the grandma, that's when she like revealed, um, you know, some of those deeper truths and that's, you know that's that's just like crazy. Actually, you know what? I've 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 got the the quote here. I just want to read it because it was just so powerful. Um, mm-hmm. Here, so 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 this was this was the quote that I asked her about because I was like, "How on earth did you get her to like reveal this to you?" And so what uh, what what the grandma said was, um, "Whenever they wanted a girl, they just entered her room. It was frightening. I gave birth to two children." One girl and one boy. I had to strangle the baby. It was conceived at the comfort station. When the baby died, it impacted me deeply. I was impregnated by the Japanese soldiers. I almost died giving birth. Can you imagine? I was so scared I gave birth in the field. At the comfort station, I would often scream in pain. I had the baby on my way home. I had to throw it away. I was so... I was damaged so badly I could never bear any more children. And so that that hit me so hard. That's what halfway through the documentary. And I was just like, how did you get these women to open up? Like, this is 
wow. Um, and yeah, so she really, in the interview, like delved deeper into her relationship. This film took over 10 years to make. Um, so she really did become like part of these women's um, inner circle of trust. And yeah, she really went on a journey with them. Um, let's head on over to Leonard for what your thoughts are of like the documentary and its structure and how the facts were presented. Um, yeah, it was, it, it was incredible. Um, I really, yeah, like she, over these 10 years, she got all this footage and like with a, with a movie like this, it's all about finding a story in the footage that you've bought. And, and especially with something as delicate as, as this, and you know, you don't know what you're going to get, right? You don't know what sort of things they're going to say, you know, what kind of like, but like Tiffany managed to really pull a very complete story out of what she got and um you know and and it, like the way she juxtaposed uh the horrific traumas that they all went through um you know the things that they survived the ways that it scarred them but the way she juxtaposed that with who they are now like some of them are mothers like they're pillars of the community they're uh, activists you know like to show even though they were so horribly damaged and impacted by this horrific thing that happened to them, they, they still managed to carve out a semblance of a life, you know, where um, it just shows like immense strength, you know? And like, yeah, at the end of the day, uh, like this, you know, like it's their story and like they, yeah, like there's just they just they deserve an apology, right? Is really what they what they uh, should get, and which they're probably not going to really get before they're all dead. But like, which is something they kept saying in the movie, they're like, you know, who's who are they going to apologize to when we're all dead? So that's why they're doing this now. But uh, if there's one thing you can do, not just for them, but for like this film on IMDb, the rating is like five point six out of ten or something stupid because all these Japanese people have gone on and given it like one star reviews. So like, honestly, like if you're listening to this, this movie deserves to be seen. And I know some people would look at like, I'm being like, Oh, five, I'm not going to watch this. It's not a 5.6 star movie, man. This is a 10 star movie. And it, you know, that has to be reflected. Uh, so please like whoever's listening to this, go on IMDb, sign in, whatever, yeah. make a, I don't just give it a 10 star review. Like, yeah. I mean, watch the movie. Uh, I mean, don't give it a 10 star review. You don't believe it does, but if you watch the movie, I can't like, yeah. I don't see how you're not going to believe it does. So exactly. unless, unless you're Japanese and you don't believe this shit, but then why do you watch this movie anyways? Like you're not in it for the facts. Yeah. So. I, 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 I will, I will say, cause I do know we've got some Japanese, some Japanese listeners, but we will say just to clarify, it's specific Japanese trolls and they're oh, like yeah, 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 right wing yeah. extremists <laughs> of Japan. It's not the general Japanese population because when, yes. when, when I no, spoke I, with Tiffany, she said that there was actually a lot of support in Japan um, for yes. the apology. It's just, there's these, you know, Trump style right wing, Fox News of Japan kind of people who are just out of control right. and have nothing better to do. So, mm. yeah. yeah. Let, let me clarify that. Yeah, I don't. I, I have Japanese friends. I love them. They're great. Um, I have a Japanese I just don't like wife. Japanese. 
<laughs> I mean, I don't like any rapist, regardless of, of uh, nationality. That's just the thing that I have. Uh, but uh, yeah, so yeah, it's just, you know. It's those the people, people. The people who rape and the people who cover it up and the people who refuse to acknowledge that it even existed. Uh, I don't like those people. But in general, love the Japanese. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Oh. I, I love this man. I have a Sony PlayStation. I'm gonna buy the PS5 for sure. I used to own a Nissan. Man, like I'm all for Japanese stuff. I'm fine. The, the original <laughs> the thought was go What's that? The original thought was go to IMDB. Yes, yeah, go to IMDB. Um yeah. and you know once again that Amazon Prime. You don't have to pay for it if you already have Amazon Prime or you can download or purchase on iTunes. Please, please, please see this. Please, please, please go to IMDb and fight Japanese trolls. Um, the good thing, though, is like it won like 15 international awards, including the prestigious Peabody Award, for goodness sake. Yeah. That huge. is huge. Basically Amazing. one of the biggest awards in the world. So, you know, there's that. So... Go see it. Highly recommended. And uh, thanks to Tiffany Shung, um, who is actually at TIFF um, tonight, the Toronto International Film Festival, debuting her new short, Sing Me a Lullaby, which actually is more personal. It's about um, her journey with her mom and finding out about her mom's biological family. And actually, it was it was filmed during the same time that she was filming the apology. So in a lot of ways, it's sort of like, it's sort of like a bookend. She, during the interview, she said one could not have been made without the other, because the more she learned about these grandmas, the more she was starting to learn about her own family. And inside it sort of intermingled over a 10 to 15 year period. So if you like the apology, definitely um, support her latest movie. Um, Sing me a lullaby, which is available um I don't know what TIFF's website is, but just look up Toronto International Film Festival and it is there. Um, sing me a lullaby. And uh, uh, that brings us to the end of our show. Um, thank you, everybody who came on live, um, who sent us comments. Um, even thank you for all those haters who uh, called me pro-genocide on the YouTube channel because at least you're watching our videos. Um <laughs> And uh, <laughs> there's no take all the views we can get. Any <laughs> Japanese people here who are rapists? Uh, <laughs> just, just give us a thumbs up. That'd be cool. Yeah. Even thank you to that white guy who saw our video titled um, "We I Don't Need oh. to Know You Have an Asian Wife," who then responded in the comments starting with, I have an Asian wife and I'm very offended by this video, which I don't even know what to tell you, boy. If I, you know what? I, I'm not even going to address that because this podcast is for Asians by Asians. And we know white people come just like they come to the rice shows, but they're allowed to be in the back, but we don't need to speak yeah. to you directly. Um, oh, that guy, by the way, the, the Asian wife guy. Yeah. Half Japanese. Oh. <laughs> Oh, good Lord. Okay. Oh, and uh, thank you to uh, Tamanga Is from uh, from YouTube for uh, for streaming in. Um, yeah, we've been trying to post more content to YouTube, and it's slowly growing. We're nine 
subscribers away from 500 followers, which I know Ooh. sounds really low. Most most of my social media is up in like 10,000, 40,000. So YouTube was like really sad. I had like 100. So like 491 sounds like nothing, but I appreciate every one of those 491 people because it used to be <laughs> under 100. Um, so keep it coming. We'll do a celebratory, you know, 500 subscriber thing. Um, I don't know what other than to a say <laughs> a gender reveal. A subscriber reveal cake. <laughs> you open it up and it's like, oh my God, we hit 500. Like 500 bees come pouring out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and, uh, and and thank you to all our podcast listeners. Um, just one quick note for everybody watching on the live stream and everybody who listens to the podcast. We are changing our um, taping day back to Sunday, which is what our original day was, Sundays at 8 p.m. So we will be back in only, what is that, five days away um, on Sunday for a new episode. And our podcast will now be posted on Mondays instead of Wednesdays. So you have all the work week to listen to it. Um, when we used to post it on Mondays, it did seem like people um, had more of a chance to enjoy it. So we are going to go back to that schedule. And finally, we do want to give a congratulations to one of our original panelists, Jennifer Shung, who, as you can tell, is not on the episode today because she accepted a position at CP24 as their week as their weekend anchor. CP24 is the largest news um, provider, broadcaster in Canada right now, especially their views have really grown ever since um, the the coronavirus COVID-19 situation. So, you know what? Congratulations, Jennifer. We will be watching and uh, our lives are in your hands. So <laughs> report responsibly. <laughs> um, but we, uh, we, we definitely trust Jennifer. Um <laughs> For giving us the news. As you know from this podcast, she tells it like it is. So it should be very entertaining. And uh, and uh, thank you. I do want to thank uh, Veronica, too, for coming on on her first time as one of our thank panelists. Um, okay, thank you, listeners. And this is us signing off. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.